Scott, we have uh, longtime support partners from Need Essentials today and NVS Fins. Unreal. You got to get your Need Essentials. Tell you what, the water took a little chill down here, and I'm going to need to get some new booties. I've got an insane 4-3. Um, it's time to get geared up for winter. I mean, this feels like the first week of winter here in Southern California. So Need Essentials, get your stuff. NeedEssentialsUSA.com, I think is the website, right? NeedEssentialsUSA.com. Yeah, that is. And that's the other thing is there's been kind of wetsuit uh, shortages in Southern California due to a shipping issue. Need Essentials is stocked. I got a 4.3, a new 4.3 from them um, two or three weeks ago, maybe a month ago, which there's nothing better. There's nothing better than brand new seams and everything on a suit. Um, Gets you motivated to surf. They also have outerwear, obviously, for the mountains. So snowboard or ski pants, jackets, an outer shell. You can kind of layer. They make three jackets, a thin one, a puffy one, and then a shell for when it's wet. Um, so get all of that stuff or gift all of that stuff. NeedEssentialsUSA.com. Dude, check this out. Let me show you something. Boom. Boom. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The Taylor Knox? The Taylor Knox fin? The Taylor Knox twin fin from NVS. That's this got an interesting little um, yeah, it's got this little curve tip. on that little nub. Yeah, can you see that? Yeah. I can, I can see the nub. Yeah, I'm pretty psyched on these fins. Of course, I haven't tried them yet, but um, I'm looking forward to putting them in my new Blackbird twin fin that Tim Crozier made me, giving it a spin. So, so those are the Taylor Knox, the Arc series fins that he has with NVS. I, yeah. I didn't know that he actually had the twin with him as well. I have the thrusters from him. Yeah. I have actually just sent in the mail today uh, a Surfing World magazine to Taylor. Oh, cool. Very good. Yeah. There's a few issues left if anybody wants them. Sean Doherty sends me a batch to distribute in the U.S. So if anybody wants them, I think there's five or six issues left. Sure. But um, yeah, and shout out to NVS Fins. SurfNVS.com is their website. You can purchase them through a lot of the best retailers, um, not only Southern California, East Coast, Israel, various points around the world. And um yeah, they've just been a great support and they make the best fins. For and another great opportunity for gifting, like super simple totally. and powerful gift to your the surfers in your life, NVS it fins. And it actually fits perfectly into a stocking. Perfect. It's got the curve for stocking. the foot of the stocking. There it's you go. It goes right into the stocking, just like that. And some coal on your black. You know, <laughs> I guess all coal is black, but some coal. Take out the coal, put in the cool. Surfnvs.com. See some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. Uh, when it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Hey, yeah, guy. Yeah, freaking guy. Yeah, guy. Welcome, David. It's spit. It is Tuesday. It is December the 7th, David. You know what this day is? No, I don't. Pearl Harbor D Day. D-Day. Yeah, it's Pearl Harbor. The 80th, 80th anniversary of Pearl Harbor Day. My friends in Hawaii are, um, you know, looking back on that day, remembering that day, remembering those that perished as they fought tyranny and authoritarianism. I should know this day. My grandfather was there. Hell yeah. That's he insane. Was a 
Yeah, he was, I think, eight years old living uh, in Honolulu when the planes flew over and they bombed and it was pure pandemonium, as he tells it. That's Is he still alive? Unfortunately, no. He passed uh, away about 10 years ago. But that movie, um, there was a big Hollywood movie called Pearl Harbor that came out. And I went and saw that in theaters with him. And it jarred a lot of memories loose that he hadn't shared previously. And um, yeah, it was a really traumatic experience for an eight-year-old. Like, you know, they were killing Japanese people in the street uh, as an act of retribution and in the chaos and the madness after the bombings. And um, so he experienced all that. He talked about hiding in a bathtub, like one of those um, pedestal type bathtubs that he and I think a brother or sister got inside. And then the parents like turned it over on top of them to protect them. Cause they didn't know, you know, if the bombings were going to go for days or whatever, it was just pure chaos. So pretty interesting. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm stoked. You, you got to hear that firsthand account from your grandfather. It'd been, it'd been cool to, to video some of that insight from him, but I know, or just, yeah. I mean, now that I interview people basically for a living, I mean, I totally think about that. He didn't talk much when I was really young. He was really, he came from poverty. He was born on Kauai, first of all, but ended up on Oahu, but came from poverty and was just raised so differently than me and my cousins were. So I think he kind of resented that we're just like ungrateful little brats, essentially, and yeah. that he had to work so hard his whole life. So for the first 15 years of my life, he didn't really talk much. But as he got older, I think he softened and um, as you do. And so, yeah, he certainly shared stories like that. And we got to hear pretty crazy stuff. The world changed a lot in his lifetime. I know. Gosh, when you think about like even just like the past 200 years, like it's incredible how much change has been has happened. Well, uh, less than that. I mean, the Industrial Revolution, right in the early 1900s, the automobile planes being invented. A lot of people that are still alive experienced some of those things. Yeah, it's weird. Like when you think about like, um, you know, uh, the change that's occurred culturally and historically, where did that change begin? Like, where does the arc start on the chart? And I'm not sure where I would want to say like the Renaissance, like, you know, 1690, you know, like right around in there when it's all of a sudden a science and art and, and this stuff started to kind of move in and kind of nudge into, um, you know, I guess religions, which kind of owned the space, you know? And I think from there is when, man, we're on like a rocket ship of change right now. Yeah. I um, remember seeing that chart in like a sociology class or something in college and it was the industrial revolution, but I think that was 1800s. And that was like a rocket ship of, innovation and technological also, yeah yeah and population too um yeah boomed after that because you know you could um commercially produce food and get it across the country and then there was medicine and hospitals and all that sort of stuff so everything blew up but then there's a new trend which is just the last 20 years that is the technological revolution that has radically changed everything so for anybody who is alive through the early 1900s till now it's just like a world of difference. I know it's crazy. I don't, when were you born? Like, well, were you 80, around, 81? Were you an adult when there wasn't cell phones? No, I got my first cell phone when I was 16 and I have wow. like the same phone number since I was 16. Oh, wow. So I remember them coming to be because like, I remember my parents not having them. And I remember my dad getting a car phone 
which was just like such a luxury, but it was because it was for work. Yeah. But like my friends, you know, would be like, whoa, what is that? You know? Yeah. We're in the middle of it. It's everything's changing quick. Totally. Um, lots going on in the surf world though, Scott, lots going on in Hawaii. We've got Drew Brophy news. Matt Warshaw is doing an encyclopedia of surfing fun drive. Pete Mel dropped a documentary. What do you got? I know. God, I want to watch the Pete Mel thing. Um, let's start off with Matt, you know, Matt Warshaw's 2021 encyclopedia of surfing fundraiser. It's happening right now. Um, he's got a bunch of big things happening for 2022, including, um, He's going to be adding a book section, a new supercharged, improved search engine, and um, as always, an enormous amount of surf history that he needs to archive and catalog and digitize. He's got a never-ending job, so if you can find it, um, and this is the time of giving. I've been giving a lot this month, and I plan on giving some to the Encyclopedia of Surfing, Matt Warshaw, EOS, and uh, yeah, I would do that, and I think you should too. What, what are your thoughts on Matt? Um, eos.surf is the website. It's a $3 a month commitment. So I talked to Matt a couple of weeks ago about his business and I'm like, because he doesn't have any advertisers. He intentionally doesn't want to include advertising on the site, which I think is, a you know, it's a decision. Um, and I understand why he's making it, but there's really no way to increase revenues other than doing this drive or to get more people to sign up which is incremental. It's like, okay, three bucks here, three bucks there. You know, I was like, dude, just increase it to $5. Nobody's going to drop out for five bucks. Heck throw caution to the wind, make it six bucks a month. Nobody's going to drop off for six bucks and you would double your revenues, you know? And so he's actually considering doing that. Um, I can't imagine that anybody would drop off or if they do, it's probably one to 2% of people and the doubling of the revenue will far cover that uh, because the amount of work that he does is more than a 40 hour a week job. And he doesn't make enough off of it to hire a person to help. So he's wearing the hats of bookkeeping, uh, content creation, archiving stuff he can't even get around to adding new entries onto the site, you know? Um, so he said that he's going to start just making it the encyclopedia of 20th century surfing or 20, yeah, 21st, 20th century surfing. And um, I'm like, well, that's creating a limitation. How about just increase revenues? You can expand the scope of what you do by just hiring and delegating. So. Well, I just donated just now while we were talking. Oh, okay, about perfect. So, and it's not just, so I'm already a subscriber, a monthly subscriber to his site, but I've also given a yearly donation on top of the subscription, which is what I would recommend our listeners do if you're so inclined. I like it. That's smart. Um, also, another thing that he told me was he's transitioning, his website's built on WordPress and he's transitioning to a different platform. And so that's a big one-time expense and then a big learning curve for him. So that's kind of the nuts and bolts of where this fund money goes, the fund drive money goes. That's interesting. Huh. I wonder why he's leaving WordPress. <laughs> yeah, he, didn't fully, he didn't fully explain it to me. Um, seems like I think it had limitations for where he's at now and what he's doing. All right. Well, look, there's other ways and other places to give this, this um, December. I also have given uh, my yearly donation to the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center, SHAC, 
And it's surfingheritage.org if you want to donate there. And in addition, um, I've given my yearly donation to SurfAid International, who I'm involved with on some level. So there's Encyclopedia of Surfing, there's the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center, and there's SurfAid International. Those are three places where I've, you know, eked out a little bit out of my budget to give to them. And uh, I would recommend it if there's wherever you give, give, give from your heart, give generously. Uh, maybe it's, I don't know, the March of Dimes. I don't, I don't know where you give. It's none of my business. But if, I think um, if everybody gave a little bit, we'd all receive a whole bunch. I, I heard only one dime out of every dollar actually goes to the charity of the March of Dimes and the 90 cents <laughs> goes, goes to uh, running the business or, you know, the salary of the CEO even. So um, I'd be, we can trust that your donations are in good hands, certainly at Shack, certainly at SurfAid, certainly at EOS. Um, what's going on at Shack? I haven't, I haven't been there in such a long time. You know, it's funny. We should, well, this is so much better though. <laughs> Been meeting there. This is so much better. But um, I was looking through our YouTube and I was and I saw some old ones where we were actually together at Shack. And it's it's a pretty cool venue from like you know what's behind us. It's got that kind of cliche bookshelf vibe that most professional looking Zoom backgrounds have. <laughs> My Zoom background is um, it's a little ratty back here in the garage slash office. But you can see I've got an AG1 towel. Oh, yeah. Did that sweater fit you, by the way? Uh, the green one? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I haven't tried it on. Okay. I ordered I, I in between a medium and a large. So I asked for a medium from them, and it's way too snug. It could just be all the, the holiday pie that I've been eating. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to slim everything down. Me too. Um, so anyway, Shaq. Any updates yep. from them worth noting? Uh, just, you know, they have a great new executive director, Steve Morris, and they're doing things. It's tough to be a nonprofit in, in the times of COVID. So yeah, we're just excited that all these nonprofits are up and alive and working. And, um, and you know, it's important to support them. It's weird. It's like, look, I'm going to support STAB. I'm going to support the Surfers Journal. You, you're supporting Surfing World, Sean doing Surfing World. Um, we're all trying to support different things. And, um, you know, I'm all for it. And uh, well, yeah, I think I think we're living in a better time now than ever before in terms of the content. Um, and this the surf world's a microcosm for what's happening in all of media, you know, rather than giving direct TV one hundred dollars a month and having three hundred channels that I don't watch. I give ten bucks to Netflix. I give five bucks to Hulu, ten bucks to Amazon. And it probably amounts to less than what I was originally spending, but it's exactly what I want to watch. If I'm not watching HBO anymore, I'll cancel that immediately. And so in the surf world, it's not just three magazines and a couple of filmmakers that are creating all the content with the same 12 surfers all the time. There's now, you could watch Craig Anderson's new edit. You could watch, you know, the WSL content. If you want, you could watch stab high. If you want, you, you know, there's just so much that you can watch. And I think a lot of those entities are now figuring out ways to monetize themselves and then get direct support. So we're in that transition, but I'm all speaking of which maybe we should throw out a call to our listeners to give a donation to spit. We, we don't often enough, to be honest. I know. And let's there do is a holiday a push right now. 
I, I agree. We should, because there is, I noticed a little bit of attrition where we have a few people cancel every month and, uh, and then a couple more sign up and it kind of flushes out, but we never advertise it. So you could sub, uh, subscribe on surfsplendorpodcast.com, click over to the subscribe button and, um, it's five bucks a month. It goes a long way. It's the foundation of, you know, of our business. Ad revenues are great. Those are add-ons, but they fluctuate from month to month. And so the subscription model is the foundation of the business. Yeah. So find it in your heart. Um, flow a subscription to you yourself or one of your surf buddies. So the other um, donation thing that is going around the last couple of days is for Drew Brophy. Did you see this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did. So Drew, Drew was at the boardroom show. Oh yeah, he had an incredible booth. He and Maria and Phil Roberts, and they had this, they had this great Posca pen display and exhibit, and it was actually a hands-on thing. So there was tons of kids and adults too, quite frankly, um, learning how to, you know, use the Posca pen on foam and paint boards and make art. And it was really um, an engaging exhibit that they had, and and it's very, it's just troubling and sad that. To hear that Drew's literally, I, I, I don't know where he's at, but I think he's in a pretty scary place as far as um, COVID. And, and like, is he intubated? I don't want to sit here and tell you that I know that he's been intubated and that he's, I don't know where he's at with it, with it right now, but I know it's scary. So he contracted COVID uh, at the beginning of November. And after 10 wow. days, yeah, at the, at, after 10 days of staying home and kind of trying to fight it on his own, he was not able to get out of bed, uh, really having a hard time breathing. So he actually got admitted to the ICU and um, they did put him on a ventilator. His lungs were not strong enough to kind of help him get through it. So they put him on the ventilator and he's expected or his family and friends, his brother's the one who set up the GoFundMe, which is where I'm getting my information from. They expect him to make a full recovery. Um but he's not out of the woods. He's still in the ICU and he, but he has expert care. And um, Drew was saying that more important, this GoFundMe is set up because it's going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical bills. So they're going to need help with that when the bill comes due. So you can donate on the GoFundMe. We will link to it. But he's also saying that he would really appreciate positive thoughts for good health and healing he believes that kind of the universe can kind of coalesce those and help them. So what they're recommending is close your eyes throughout the day, say a quick prayer, call it, call it good vibes, whatever. But the direct quote is Drew is healed and in good health. That is what they're asking people to create kind of as their mantra. Drew is healed and in good health. So it's not I hope that he heals. It's that he's healed and he's in good health. And that's what the family's asking. I think that's what Drew himself is asking for. I realize there might be some listeners who don't know um, who Drew is. You and I know him well because he's an integral part of the Southern California surfboard manufacturing industry. But he's a world-renowned artist, if you didn't know. And he's he does a lot of art on surfboards and, all, and on all sorts of actually everything. Um, but he sort of got his start in surfboards and he's a really good surfer and uh and um, yeah, so uh, Drew is his art, his yeah. art, even if listeners don't recognize the name, I'm almost certain they've seen the art if they followed surfing for the last couple of decades. I first encountered it, I would say in the mid to late 90s um, on lost surfboards. 
I think there was a time where the art that they had was like exclusively Drew's. And so they both kind of grew up through their heydays together. Um, and it's really, it is surf themed art often ocean themed art. And it's really big, colorful, extravagant kind of in its aesthetic and design. Uh, it's easily identifiable as Drew Brophy once you see it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, man, I hope you, I'm glad he's getting better. You talked about, um, he's a good surfer. Jizo, he is a charger on yeah. his website. It's him charging Totos. Um, on that GoFundMe, there's a wave, him charging Puerto Escondido on like a double or triple overhead left. Just absolutely charging. Um, so yeah, the GoFundMe is great. There's also his website, drewbrophyart.com. And so why not just go buy art from him? Support the business, you know? There you go. That's a great call. Great call. Yeah. Well, Scott, Haliva wrapped up last week. Oh my, that was uh, that was exciting, and it was a really great final. I mean, I don't know. Am I just am I jonesing for a surf contest or yes? Back and me yes. up, back me up here. I mean, it was an incredible final, right? I mean, holy so mackerel, incredible. John Florence just insane. Jack Robinson ripping, Kanoa doing some crazy. I don't even, I'm not the air guy, so I don't even know what he was doing, but he was doing some crazy stuff. And Corrupt flip. Yeah, corrupt flip. Thank you. And then um, Samuel Pupo looking like he belongs. So it was really, I enjoyed it. And maybe it's because it was big and meaty and there was lots of waves and it was, and gosh, John Florence was just, just, I mean, is he on his A plus game? I don't think he serves any better than what we've seen in the last month. John John's back from injury and better than ever. Um, John John, as you you intend to do, you want to peak in the final. John John opens the final with a 10-point ride that might have been the most convincing 10-point ride I can remember seeing. It was such a flawlessly surfed wave, improvised, unexpected. The first air spinner that he does was a crazy style of a rotation and the speed that he did it and everything off a critical section, the first section of the wave, so buttery landing in transition into like a almost mid face bottom turn. It pulls into the barrel, which was a sick barrel. Like it was a difficult section to possibly get into after a turn like that. And he just gets into it so perfectly, not even a pump, just like out of the rotation into that comes through that section I think he does a big snap, right? No, no, he, no, he does another little um, alley-oop thingy. Well, I remember he closes the wave does, with another he, air rotation. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, I think. Oh, did, but I yeah. think he does a snap after he comes oh, maybe, out. He does maybe. like a super yeah. critical snap. And, a, you know, like yeah. a proper, like critical, nothing held back. And then like a cutback and then boom, air off the end section. It was just the most complete ride, seamless in transition. Amazing. Yeah, it's one of those rides when you see a, a great wave surf. Sometimes you go, well, that's probably a 10. I mean, they're going to give him a 10. Right. But that wave was like, there's no doubt that's a 10. Like you, you you're yeah. just like guaranteed 10 guaranteed 10. One judge gave him a nine, eight, but shut up. Yeah. I didn't see nine, that. There was a nine, eight in there. There's nothing more you could have done on that wave. 
there, the first air that he does on that wave was the best air that I had seen throughout the entire contest. Then he gets kind of the craziest little barrel section I've seen throughout the contest. He did everything on one wave that was arguably the best version of it in the contest. You know, like yeah. what else do you want? Yeah. And, and Jack Robinson looked super solid. I mean, and like I said, Kanoa looked Kanoa's Kanoa. This could be Kanoa's year. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if Kanoa's a world champion. I wouldn't be surprised if any of those three guys was, well, maybe Jack Robinson would be a bit of a surprise. I'd be very surprised if Kanoa was a world champ this year. Really? I think he's got top five potential, but I cannot see him beating Gabriel Medina. I can't see him beating John John at most of the venues on tour. I can't see him even beating like Felipe, you know, certainly not Idolo. Mm. Um, well, that's a good call, I guess. So what's interesting or what's great, I think, is you see these ask, guys. Wait, hold on. Yeah, go. Let me ask you this. Okay. If, if Kano Igarashi doesn't win a world title, undoubtedly his career is somewhat soiled wouldn't you agree yes, yes. and been so his entire do you, life's ambition to win you, a world title do you think he'll ever win a world title if john john and gabe and Elo or any three any one of those three is on the tour with him there there's possibility that he will he'll have to elevate his game from where it's at now though i think uh, Kanoa's strength is that he's going to get a pair of sevens, potentially seven fives in every single heat, no matter where it is in the world from pipeline to Huntington beach. The chink in his armor is that he's not going to get a 10. And so yes. those other guys that I just named are liable to drop tens in any heat, almost anywhere in the world. Kanoa, I've never seen him. Wait a minute. That. What did he do at Karamas though? Karamas, well, he, he got, he got some nines. He did exactly what I said. He made it no. through the heats with a strong no. combo of points, but no, he wasn't. He didn't get the highest wave scores of the heat of the event. Of the final, he did. Yeah, and he won the final against Jeremy Flores. But there was better surfing throughout that event. Yeah. Remember Kelly on the Aquilas? Elo well, too. I think Elo was ripping. That's right. Way. Yeah, and not to take anything away from Kanoa, I think he's phenomenal. No, um, no. but that that is the difference between the world champs and yeah. him is. But his strength, again, is that he's never going to get less than those two sevens. And that'll have him consistently in quarterfinals and maybe even semifinals. But he doesn't threaten with tens. So it's almost like a, a perfect storm, a perfect season of, of results has to fall into place. Like you could see him with a second and, and an equal third and a fifth and another second and a third and a fifth and be right there in the running. Yeah. Going into the final five and everything comes together a guy gets an interference you know, you know i mean well yes so not only does he have to have the season come together he has to have gabriel medina fall off his own game and the problem right now is that even if gabriel does idolo's right there and even if idolo does john john's right there so Kanoa would have to have all those people the stars really align all those people fall off and for him to kind of peak on finals day and that's so to Kanoa's uh, benefit points from the season don't uh, yeah, factor right. into finals day. Right, Cause right. if they did, yeah. you know, then he would still, he would have to um, overcome that gap in the points between Gabriel and fifth place, let's say, but in theory, from what you're saying, he can get into finals day and then just have the day of days. And all those other guys have the worst day of their 
season. Technically, he's he's in the top five, wouldn't you say? Like technically, I, he's in the top yeah. Five. And and I would say competitively, he's he's probably in the top two. Like what's between his brain, his ability to kind of, yeah, you know, compete. And yeah. I think he showed that at Pipe a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um. You know, I I could just see it happening. I just I just feel like the forces of of history are on his side. Like it, it's almost like it needs to happen, you know, because of the Japan. I don't know, you know, like call me weird, but I just feel like it's it's all gonna at some point it's all gonna come together for him. And I don't know what year it is, but it needs to be, you know, within the next five years. Well, um, what I liked about this event for the men's side is that the CT surfers really uh, brought their a game and kind of elevated to a different status than a lot of the QS surfers. Yeah. And this showed in the final as well. I agree. Totally. That's totally where it just really shined. It's like the, there was three CT surfers in the final. They placed exactly as you would expect them to place John, John in first, Jack Robinson in second, Kanoa in third, and then Sammy Pupo deserved to be there. He surfs amazingly, but not as good as those guys. So he ended up fourth. What's interesting, though, is on the women's side, we've talked about there's an upset coming. We're looking at Aaron Brooks. We're looking at Caitlin Simmers, and we're like, man, in in the next five years, that uh, CT, female CT, is going to get absolutely upended. While we've been waiting for years for some of those girls to start landing air rotations consistently. We don't have, they're not going to figure it out. They haven't figured it out for the last five years. They're not going to figure it out. Whereas these new girls have figured it out and they're just going to step up and blow up. And I think that we're, we started seeing that at Holly Eva, um, the field between the CT surfers and the QS surfers was not as distinct. And then you get them all in the final together. Three of them, turned out to be CQS surfers, you know, rather than on the men's side, three being CT surfers. So Carissa Moore, the defending champ was the only one in the final. And she ended up placing third after Betty Lou and Betty Lou Sakura Johnson in first, Gabriella Bryan in second and India Robinson in fourth, um, who all then qualified for the CT. Wow. Yeah. I'm looking at the girl side of things and Frankly, I couldn't. I, there's only one person on here who I could tell you which way she goes, regular or goofy. <laughs> Interesting. Not the CT, well, the Challenger series. Well, not the, not and, the CT. And who is that one person? Carissa Moore. I'm just looking. She's in, she made, she was well, sixth place on the Challenger series this year. She, and she only surfed in one event. <laughs> so Betty Lou, Betty Lou is one who you will become familiar with. And she kind of came up, sprouted out of um, just in this last year, I'd say into my awareness, but she lives, get this. She's 16 years old. She lives in Eddie Icao's house. He used to live, <laughs> he used to live in the house. The ce- in the in. cemetery? No. Ooh, <laughs> brutal. Too soon, dude. No, no. That's where the Icaos grew up. They grew up in the cemetery. Oh, oh, that's okay. where their house was. Pops Icao. Okay, okay, okay. Pops Icao was the, was the groundskeeper for the cemetery. Got it. Maybe, yeah. maybe it is, uh, maybe it is that house then. Um, she serves Holly Eva every day. That is her spot, which is why, you know, she did so well in this event and she's qualified for the tour now. So she's looks incredible to me. Um, what I really appreciated about her at Holly Eva was 
her attack. She was just attacking the lip, you know, where a lot of the other women were going to the open face to do their turn. There's a crumbly lip and she goes vert into that thing and would smack it every single time. And so I think she was deserving not only to be in the final, but to win it over Carissa Moore, no less. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how these, this new crop of women handle the, the CT, you know, from a mental standpoint. She's only 16. So it remains to to be seen to be in your home, in your backyard, ripping hard with all your friends. But all of a sudden you're at Bell's and you're putting on the jersey and you're like, oh, shit, I'm against Stephanie and, um, you know, whoever else. And Carissa. Yeah. Um, or who's the, who's the red hot Australian girl that's hasn't won the world title yet? Um, Sally. Yeah. Sally, you get Sally and Steph and you're heated. Bell's or something. You're just like, oh, shit. You know, <laughs> All of a sudden, yeah. you're you're in the big leagues, and to be 16, totally. that's almost. I don't know, man. I would argue that's maybe too young to be on the challenge. I don't know. It could easily be argued, and it really comes down to the individual. So it, it remains to be seen. But she has a lot of potential. Um, yeah. And now the real thing that you and I need to almost place a wager on, and we could figure out the terms of the wager okay. is for 2022 yeah. Marshall versus Munoz. Oh my God! I know this. This is a great thing. So let's just set the listeners up. Carlos Munoz has been your guy for at least four or five years, I would say. When he he first had a kind of a run at it, maybe five years ago, barely barely did not qualify. And um, Jake's my hometown hero here in Encinitas. So okay, what's the wager, Mofo? Bring it. Let's let's figure it out. I mean, or we can let listeners decide for us, but. It might have even been more than five years ago because I feel like I was that's probably when he didn't qualify, but I was really hyping him years before that. I was like, Scott, Carlos Munoz. You like, were hey. down there, right? Weren't you in Costa Rica with him? And so you kind of surfed around him and seen him. And yeah. filmed, weren't you filming him at some point? Yeah. And he would come through Southern California as well. Yeah. Um, and I was like, this guy's the real deal. And he was like either final or you're maybe even one pipe at the Volcom contest, you know, the Volcom pipe pro. So like, he's got game in Hawaii. He's a great small wave surfer. He's got airs. He's got power. And you just kept saying, yeah, yeah. I'll believe it when he qualifies. I'll believe it when I see it. There's a million other red hot surfers that do that stuff. And I'm like, no, not to do it at pipe, not to do it in small waves. Anyways, he's finally qualified and not as definitively as your Jake Marshall did. Jake Marshall finished a little bit stronger, but you're hyping Jake. I've been hyping Carlos. So 2022, it is on. I'm okay. picking my guy. You're picking your guy head to head. Who ends up finishing stronger? Well, I guess what we have to do is look, we know there's a cutoff after, I want to say there's a cutoff after Bells or Margaret. Mar- Margaret. Okay. So there's a, so, I mean, do we do who's, who's, who's got the highest ratings point after Margaret? Yeah. And then if they both continue on, um, how yeah. about if, if one continues on and the other doesn't, there's an additional bonus bet, you know what I'm saying? So write this down. So after Margaret's, whoever's got the highest ra- ranking is, what is it? A hundred bucks? Sure. Or, or we, it doesn't have to be monetary. Like it could be shame related, you know, no. like losing a hundred bucks to you is a pretty shameful thing. Okay. hundred bucks. I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah. A hundred bucks. And then if, they both move on. We we pay the, the first bet off, 
whoever has the highest rating. And then we go into a double or nothing. Not a, uh, we make it the same bet, but for 200 bucks. If they both move on. If they both move on. Now, if they don't okay. both move on, if only one of them moves on, the first bet is not $100, but $200. Okay. I'm in. You got that I all like written it. down? No, so but I like it. The first bet is $100, whoever has the highest ratings after Margaret's. Okay. The second bet is if one of them does move on and the other doesn't, that bet is now $200. If they both move on, the first bet gets paid, and the second bet is for $200, who has the highest ratings points at the end of the year. Okay. I like it. Um, are now, we going to remember this? We never even remember our bets. We need somebody to like remember. We'll these remember. Bets. Listener, well, listeners, well, listeners, listeners are already on us because we've already been tracking these two guys for years. So yeah. it'll be it'll be front of mind at every contest. Yeah. Now let's assess what those events are because that matters. It does. Uh, Pipeline, Sunset, Panish, Bells, and Margaret. So at Pipe, I got Carlos. I'm comfortable picking Carlos over Jake at Pipe. So I'm fair. I'm fine with that. What about Sunset? Who benefits at Sunset? Kind of a wild card, to be honest with you. I think um, so, too. Panish is, Panish is kind of equal, I'd say. Yeah. Bells? Margaret? Have either of them been to Bells or Margaret? I'm sure Jake has. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. It's pretty to be honest with you. To be honest with you, I haven't seen Jake Marshall do a whole lot of surfing. <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't seen Carlos either. I this just is know, perfect. I just know I, I've seen Jake in events, but I don't surf free surf with him because he surfs down at Seaside and I'm somewhere else. Yeah. Now my my son surfs with Jake a lot. And um, but to me, this is about a hometown. This is my hometown guy. Yeah. So it doesn't even matter. I'm I like about, it. I'm all about it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, here's the additional um, uh, qualifiers for 2022. Yes. Which which I am so excited about. Uh, I think this is fantastic. The way that they've structured this with the Challenger Series and then the yeah. cutoff mid-year. Yeah. The fact that we get to see these guys, a new crop of surfers to get excited about. I mean, some years in the past, there's only two new surfers on tour. I know. But there's 18 that we don't want to see again and again and again. Right, right. So I love that there's 12 new faces. Well, I think three of them have actually been on tour before. Yeah. But but you know, 12 of a new enthused crop. Yeah. To contend with that 32 male surfers, you know, for a mid-season cutoff. We don't have to I mean, wait the whole year. Just think what it does. Forget about these guys, the new guys. Just think what it does to the top 20. That are like, I've got these guys nipping at my heels. They only have five events to show what they're about. These guys are coming. They're coming for you. It's How not does like, Wade Carmichael feel right now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, they're fired up. Wade's like, I better get my sh- I better call Taylor Knox and start working out, man. I need a strong stomach here because he should I be, mean, he should be calling Felipe Toledo, actually, because he's already got the Taylor Knox part down. Right. Well, I meant like the workout thing. But yeah, and and then on top of that, you throw in Zeke and Connor and Nat Young, who they kind of have almost an added thing. They're like, yeah, I've been here before and I don't ever want to be in the challenger series again. I'm going even harder. Like I do think that, that the WSL needs to continue to hype the fact that each one of these events, each one of these heats means a lot, 
now. Yeah. It's almost like two seasons in a side of a season. Perfect. Well, in addition to Zeke Lau, the aforementioned Zeke Lau, Nat Young, Connor O'Leary, there's Emai Kalani DeVault, Calum Robson, uh, who's Australian, Liam O'Brien, Australian, Luca Messina, interesting pick from uh, Peru. And I've actually spent some time with him too. Um, Sammy Pupo, who's the younger brother of Miguel Pupo from Brazil, but he's a regular footer. Jao Chanka, who's Brazilian. Jackson Baker's Australian. Jake Marshall from Encinitas, California. And Carlos Munoz from Costa Rica. Yeah, it's an interesting crew. I mean, I'm trying to figure out which one of these guys are regular and goofy. There's some guys I don't know too much about, like Jao Chianka. I don't know what's up with him. Jackson Baker. I think I saw him in Australia this year. Wasn't he a wild card? Uh, I don't remember if he was or not, but he's a regular footer. He rides for CI. He surfs good. CI got quite a few guys here. I noticed for them. too. Um, so any predictions for this list? Well, I, you know, it's weird. It's so like you look at the quote unquote veterans on this list and you're like, well, they're probably going to do pretty good. Um, so, I don't know, man. It's hard to kind of look at this list and say, I mean, the, the, to me, the obvious one is Connor O'Leary. I see Connor O'Leary getting through the, the halfway point. No problem. The cutoff okay. point. So the cut after Margaret goes from 36 to 24. So it's not a huge cut. It's not half the field, but um, I could see a lot of these guys whose names we're not as familiar with. Caleb Robson, um, Jao Chianka, Jackson Baker, Luca Messinas, not doing well at pipe. I could see them not doing great at pipe. I could see them not doing great at sunset. So if you finish last or second to last at the first two events, that really erodes your self-esteem going to Paniche. You yeah. know, and you're just like, shoot, okay, I only got three events to get my act together. And then they all have a chance at Paniche. The waves could be crummy. They could also be A-frame barrels. I think they're all comfortable in those kind of conditions. And then you look at Bells. Bells is surfboard specific. You know, Bells is kind of a challenging wave. And left, unless you've spent a bunch of time there, you know, that really doesn't benefit any of these guys either. There's a few Australians on that list, so maybe they would be prepared for Bells. Um, so it's, it's dicey. It's really yeah. dicey. It's a good breakdown. Actually, it's a good breakdown to look at it like that. And then I, you had me thinking, let's say we get into the last event at WA and there's like, you know, six or seven guys that just aren't going to qualify. Even if they win Margaret river, they're not qualifying. So they're going into Margaret river basically with nothing to lose, nothing except to help out their bro by dropping in on a guy or just stuffing a guy like there could be, I doubt that'll happen because it's not the good old days, but there could be situations where like Ema Kalani defaults, like I'm out of it, but I can help Zeke by just burning the shit out of his competitor in this heat or like, you know, what, how, you know, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, yeah. I'm not making a mockery of it, but I'm just saying that these situations could arise where it's like, Hey, it's going to help my guy. If I do this or do that, because I got nothing to lose anyway, this whole nothing to lose factor. Well, Emi Kalani Duvall is from Maui. So he is, uh, let's just, he has experience in Hawaii. So where I said those other names might not do well at pipe and sunset, what if he does, you know, he could actually thrive in those conditions 
and be this kind of uh, underdog that ends up in the top 10 coming out of Hawaii with a bunch of momentum going into Panish. That could be interesting. I could see Zeke Lau as well. It's like Zeke's coming off of a hot streak. He's very well proven at sunset. He's very comfortable at pipe. You know, that year that Maddie Wilkinson came out of nowhere and won two events in a row, this could be Zeke's year for something like that. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. I also look at this list and I say to myself, okay, which one of these guys isn't, isn't traveled? It doesn't have a lot of world travel under his belt. And they probably all have a lot of travel under their belt because that, but it does factor in a little bit. If you're a young guy on tour and you've never been to WA or you've never been to Bells, that stuff does play into this, you know, like, I mean, you know, guys that have been on tour for years, like, yeah, I stay here. I sleep here. I eat here. I go here. I know what to do, you know, but the new guys are like, Oh shit, man. Oh yeah. And I got to put on a Jersey tomorrow too. You know, where's the rental car place. Right. Well, we've been talking about the first half of the season. The second half is really exciting uh, as well. After that cut, there's G land, which we're super psyched to see back on tour. um, Presuming that it actually happens. Trestles, Rio, Brazil. We don't care that much about J Bay. Chopu and then finals day is yet to be announced where that's going to be, but that's an exciting half of the season. You know, I've got a thought on where that's going to take place. Tell me. Would it surprise you if it was at Barra? No, it would not surprise me. Yeah, me either. You know, Southern hemisphere, late Southern hemisphere, September, you know, I'm thinking any spot Cabo South could be one of the spots, you know, I'm talking Peru could be, you know, and they had a great event there this past season. Yeah. And rip curl has experience there, you know, it's a rip curl event. Yeah. I like it. That'd be cool. Um, there's only five surfers for one day. So yeah. that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Five surfers on either side. Um, and like I said, I think the women's tour, we're going to see it be completely upset by this new crop of uh, girls. The women qualifiers are, I say girls because most of them are under 21, but the female qualifiers are Gabriella Bryant, uh, Brissa Hennessy. I think she had a lot of wild cards this last year into the event. Um, So she's not, I think she's technically a rookie, but we've seen her before. Caitlin Simmers, who's only 16, India Robinson, uh, Betty Lou Sakura Johnson, who won Haliva, she's only 16 as well. And then Luan Silva, who's 17. So I think- Dude, how are these young girls going to do a Chopu in August? Great question. When it's frigging, even six foot Chopu, if you're a 17 year old and have never surfed there. I mean, it's super clear water. It looks like the reef's going to come up and grab your face. Cannot wait to find out. I think- It's going to be gnarly. It's going to be gnarly and great. Can't it ain't wait Waco, man. This is not Waco, Texas. Totally. Holy totally. shit. Super Damn. exciting. Yeah, it's going to be good. Yep. Um, the unfortunate thing is pipe. We got to wait for pipe, man. Pipes, not till February. Well, there's a pipe event. There's a yeah, Challenger Series pipe event. What you'll notice, a couple things. There's no such thing as the Pipeline Masters anymore. Have you know. noticed that? Yeah. The concept of the Pipeline Masters is gone. Did we talk kind about of, this? Yeah, it kind of just slipped away. And it's kind of sad. It's kind of like the Duke event. It's like, really? Yeah, there's events at 
there's events at Sunset Beach, but it's not the Duke event, you know, and there's yeah. events at Pipe, but it's not the Pipe Masters, which that name. And I know a lot, I bet a lot of people are like, it doesn't matter. It's just Pipe. I mean, they had the Vulcan Pipe Pro and that was always exciting. And it was, but uh, maybe I'm being nostalgic here, but it's kind of a bummer that there's no Pipeline Masters. You know? So what is it called in 2022? Um, bear with me here. I will tell you. Um, I've got it coming up as well. The Billabong Pipe Pro. The Billabong Pro pipeline, actually. Right. And then the next year, it's the Vans Pipe Pro. And the Challenger Series event is called... Where is it? I don't see it on here. Men's Challenger Mm -hmm. Series 2021. I thought there was a pipe event this year. Like this this month. There is. uh, Their calendar was wacky. It was put on 2021, I think. I'm on 2021, December, and it has the Haleiva event. Huh. Can't help you then. Don't know what it's called. Yeah, maybe it's not happening. Whoop. 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 Hell yeah. Whoop.com promo code is the word surf. You get a free Whoop 4.0 strap and 15% off your membership when you use our promo code surf. 4.0. 4.0, 4.0, like my age, 4.0. And what is Whoop, Scott? What does it mean to you? How has it affected your life? Well, look, the Whoop 4.0 is really, for me, the best part about it is the sleep, like the ability to gauge my sleep, which I don't seem to be getting very much of. It does a lot of cool things, but for me, I, I really like you know it monitoring my sleep and where I'm at with that. And it's a digital fitness tracker. It is the most advanced fitness wearable on the market. The 4.0 version is. John John Florence uses it. Uh, Nathan Florence has been using it. And although it's a tr- fitness tracker, it's really designed around the concept of recovery. And so it's important to not just monitor your exertion, but also monitor what's going on at night and how well you're sleeping and your body's processing all of that and recovering, and then apply it to your workout. Yeah, the 4.0 basically tells me, hey, today's a recovery day, or today you can go full 110%, or today maybe just go 80%, whatever the case may be. And uh, it's, it's a powerful tool for people like me and you that are living you know, aggressive lifestyles. The cool thing about the 4.0 strap is that it is smaller, sleeker. It is a biometric tracker, so it sits on your wrist, but it uh, is so small that it actually fits under your wetsuit. So you can wear it 24 hours a day. It um, measures skin temperature, blood oxygen, much, much more. All of that information gets sent to your phone. So the device itself doesn't have a screen. There's no buttons. There's no annoying notifications, but you can open up the app on your phone and it has all of your vitals. Super important information that you could then share with a physician, a coach, a personal trainer. It's just automatically collecting that data 24-7, whether you're working or sleeping. So whoop.com is the website, W-H-O-O-P, and then use our promo code, which is the word SURF, and you will get 15% off your membership and a free Whoop 4.0 strap. Right on, Whoop 4.0. Whoop.com promo code SURF. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. 
your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. The Eddie had their yeah. opening ceremony. So I was, I was complaining last week that I not confident that the event will run, even though they've advertised that it is green lit or the window is open anyways, but they, Ran the opening ceremony anyway, so that's good. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. One step closer. One step closer. Hey, the weather patterns in Hawaii have been crazy, man. They had this insane south winds that have, you know, basically they lit up some spots that normally you wouldn't surf because the winds would be wrong. And they it coincided with an incredible swell. So I'm sure you've seen some of the footage at some big wave spots uh, at some of the outer islands with these strong Kona. Well, they're south winds, really. They're, they're from a Kona low. And uh, there's been a lot of really good Instagram fodder, surf, actual surf action. You know? Yeah. Well, we got a listener email that asked, with the Eddy, which is a non-WSL event, and the Jaws which is a WSL event um, and the jaws event being a two, there's only, you know, two stops on the big wave tour. So what happens if both of those events go on the same exact day? Uh, you know, because that has happened, that swell that will light up Waimea will also be lighting up jaws. So what will happen, Scott, if both events get called on, how do surfers manage that? And what does the WSL have to say about that? Wow, that's a great question. Could happen. What does um, bet? What does Billy Kemper do? What does Kai Lenny do? Yeah, those are the ones, right? That it's. I, I think this is more of an issue for the Jaws event than it is for the Eddie event. The Eddie can field a crew, no problem, of just local charger guys. Like Clyde Icow can friggin' surf in it, and you know, like you know, there's a like million Aaron Gold, Ben yeah. Wilkinson, Eli Olson. Uh, Grant, well, I guess Grant would be conflicted. Um, but yeah, there's, yeah, that's what there's I mean. There's, yeah, I mean, you know, um, friggin', yeah, there's a lot of guys on Oahu that would that could surf in the Eddy and would be worthy. Mark Healy, Mark Healy, yeah. Mason Ho. Yeah, all of those guys, right? And so it's the WSL and the Jaws events which should be worried about this. Are they going to, is the 
notoriety and the legacy of the Eddie going to pull the Billy Kempers away, you know, especially after there's pictures of Billy Kemper holding Clyde Eichow's hand at the opening ceremony. What are you going to tell the Clyde? Hey, Clyde, I can't make it. I hope you understand. You know, I don't know. So that's, we've actually been in this scenario, uh, yeah. I think like two years ago and they ran, they ended up running the next day, the Eddie, I think the wind was bad for the Eddie yeah. on the first day. And so the surfers did have to make this decision though, whether they go, cause you gotta be there at sunrise, you know? So do you either go to Maui or do you go to Oahu? And thankfully they were able to run the Maui event one day and then the Eddie the following day. But in theory, they could run on the same day. And it really comes down to what do you what do you see as more, I don't know, prestigious as a surfer? Which do you view as more prestigious and want to participate in? The problem is because the Big Wave World Tour only has two events on it now, the Jaws event really matters. Those points absolutely matter. Um, they're 50% of your season. And if the other event doesn't run, it's 100% of your season. So think- it could mean a world title, you know, not just an event win, but a world title. Well, I guess the bigger question, or not the bigger, but an equally powerful question is which title means more to you and your legacy as a pro surfer? I think yeah. the Eddie, the Eddie, winning the Eddie means a lot more. And I would suggest to you that my gut feeling is if I was in the situation, the Eddie is where it's at. The Eddie is, this is the Eddie, man. They don't run it every year. You know what I mean? Like they yeah. have, they've already had Jaws contests this year, I think. <laughs> Who knows? To me, it feels like, yeah, just another Jaws contest. The Eddie's the Eddie, you know? And plus, if it runs, it's going to be Mac Daddy Waimea. And I, I personally feel like those surfers, and I can't speak for them, but the surfers, I would suggest to you that 80% of the surfers would surf in the Eddie. I agree. I, and the more we talk about it, if I could have my name on one of those lists, I would want it on the Eddie list. And which one did you win? You know? Yeah. What do you mean? Well, like if you could only win one, if you only had one trophy. That's what I mean. You're, you're yeah. 80 years old. Yeah. I, I won the Eddie, you know? Yeah. It's kind yeah, of a big exactly. deal. Even though I think we'll all agree that the waves, the Jaws is a better wave, but it's the Eddie, you know, this is where, this is where Eddie was a lifeguard. You know, this is the deal. Red trunks, well, it's just dig home. It's a, it's a more storied event. It's a more, um, the list of winners obviously is a lot longer because it's been running longer, but the list of winners whose names you would be alongside is significant. I will say too, that it, if they, and this, I doubt this will happen, but if they do happen to have the green light on the same day and, um, a lot more surfers don't see it the way we're talking about it right now. And then a lot more of them do do jaws instead of Eddie it'll be a bad thing for the organizers of that event to have their very first Eddie as them, as the promoters oh, to not have like the solid field of guys that everyone expects to see. Yeah. You know? totally. But again, then again, but like we said, you know, you're going to get Bruce Irons, you're going to get Jamie O'Brien, you're going to get like a, a really solid field, even if some of those guys leave, but uh, I don't know. It'll be weird. I just, I hope it doesn't happen. I just quick Googled, um, the name of the winners of the Eddie. And I don't know if this is a comprehensive list that I just pulled up first, but do you want to hear the names? Can you name the winners? I, I think I can name the very first one. Okay. Um, oh God, it was it. Um, I know he was a Holly Eva guy and his name's, um, it's like got a Japanese last name. 
Yep, you're very close. I know it's on the tip of my tongue. It's not Denton, but it starts. With yes, a it is. Oh, it's Denton. Is it Denton? And it's a Japanese last name, but it's not Miyamura, is it? No. It's yes, it is. Oh, is it? it? Oh my God! Yeah. I don't know if that qualifies as a win because you were saying it's not Denton Miyamura. No, no. So yeah, so I know you know because I look, I've yeah. searched the guy. I know who he is. Um, and then I think the next year was Clyde, right? Or was it? Yep. And then the next year was Downing. Uh, yep, Keone. And then the next year was, um, the next year was, uh, well, the next year was the next winner later. Yeah. The, okay. A decade later might've been, um, okay. Don't tell me. Hold on. Uh, it wasn't Brock, but it was the year Brock got second and had that insane wave. So whoever won that year, what year was that? Was that, Oh, was it Ross Clark? Ross no. Clark Jones. Oh. Ross Clark won the following event in 2021, but in 1999, it was another regular footer. Um, 99. Who won the Eddie in 99, a regular footer? I don't know. I'm stumped. Noah Johnson. Oh, I would have never remembered that one. That's a good one, though. He's a good, great guy. Do you know who won after Ross Clark in tw- uh, tw- 2002? The ripe old age of 29. I think I was there. I think it was Bruce. Nope. Oh, Kelly. Kelly. Kelly Slater. Then Bruce. Bruce. In 2004, Bruce won at age 25. And And then then Greg Long. Greg Long at age 25 as well in 2009. Then the event didn't run for a full seven years until John John Florence took the big W in ah, that's cool. 2016. I wouldn't have remembered that one, actually. I was like, hmm, who won it the next time? That's yeah, cool. So Denton Miyamura, Clyde Aikau, Kanoa or Keone John, uh, Downing, Noah Johnson, Ross Clark Jones, Kelly Slater, Bruce Irons, Greg Long, and John John Florence. I'd like to see John John go back to back here. That would be sick. Yeah. I, I would be psyched on that. Absolutely. Well... I hope the Eddie runs and um, God, it's a weird year for weather systems. So I wouldn't surprise me if something crazy blew up real close to Hawaii. Not too close. You want it, you know, you probably want, I mean, actually I'm not an expert, but I think you at least want 16 or 18 second interval Yeah. to get that big, to be that big. You know, it's gotta be long interval to get, to jump up on the reef. Um. Aside from Hawaii, uh, how's that Blackbird twin fin? Have you been riding it? I haven't been able to ride it, man. Oh, so, no. Well, I had some minor surgery, so I've been kind of out of the water for a week. And I got it Bummer. two days before the surgery. And I rode it one time in the most dismal, crappy, dribbly one-foot waves that <laughs> you could barely get a longboard going. But I just wanted – I was just like, I got to ride this board. Yeah. And um, – but I'm looking forward to – to ride it. it it feels good under my arm and i just wish i could get out on it i got the new fins for it from nbs that's right when are you approved to go back in the water i could go today uh, okay cool yeah i could go today and i'd like to but it's cold and small and on shore yeah good day to get some work done it is speaking of which is that all you got i've got a duke and a musty moment okay well the my must-see moment, and I haven't seen it yet, but I'm, I want to watch it almost as soon as we hang up, is this Peter Mel documentary on um, Stab. And it's called, what is it called? Well, I'll tell you what it's called, and they but, need to rename it. 
Um, (laughs) it's, It's called Everything and All. And the reason they need to rename it is who's ever going to remember that title? Like I hate when even movies, not just surf movies, but Hollywood movies give these titles that are so, um, I don't know what the right word is boring or non-specific to their film that it's like everything and all I've heard that title probably before, or I've heard variations on that title before a hundred times. So how am I going to distinguish what you made versus what somebody else made? I have no idea, you know? Yeah. It's just called well, the Pete Mel doc, as far as I'm concerned. And you've seen it, right? I watched it. Yeah. And I should watch it, shouldn't I? But don't, don't, I need a, a spoiler alert here. I don't want to. Well, there's nothing to spoil, to be well, honest. Well, let me ask you this. You know the story. It's, you su- it suggests that it's like a unflinchingly honest account, which means warts and all, right? Yes. Okay. I'm looking forward to seeing it. It, uh, that is accurate. It is, but it isn't super in depth with those things you know that's okay that's okay yeah i don't, I I don't need okay to know to. i don't need to go in depth well he tells let me just put it this way it probably doesn't need to be like it doesn't need to be a two-hour documentary um they make it a 30-minute documentary the short story that is not a spoiler is that pete mel uh had drug addiction issues at some point in his life that he overcame yeah and so it dives into that but it gives you one or two stories, you know, like when yeah. I say it's not super in depth, it gives you one or two stories rather than 20 drug stories. Frankly, that's all you I need. Yeah. Fine. I agree. I, I don't, I don't want to hear a bunch of like, you know, we get it, you know, like, yeah. but I'd rather the great, hear the good news afterwards, you know, I like the good news after like this. So it's a great rise and fall and rise. That's what it says. That is. And that is the good news is that he got the wave of a lifetime. I mean, the wave of the year, but maybe the wave of the decade in his fifties this past year, as part of his rise, you know, um, he's still on the rise. So well, the, the best wave ever ridden at Mavericks, right? Didn't exactly. You and I agree that this is the best. I mean, not that we're like Mavericks experts, but I, I don't, you know, call me an idiot, but it seems like that's the greatest paddling wave ever at Mavericks. Nobody would argue with that against that. And, um, you know, so, and then of course his son is part of that, this story as well. So that's, really great to see and his son's yeah. charging it on the left yeah. at mavericks gnarly so it's it's very well done i loved it kyle boothman's been doing great work interviewing um and creating profile pieces for the san diego brethren for the last five to ten years or so so this is another um part of that series and i think it's probably probably the best piece that he's done and pete mills just such a likable hero to root for such a likable guy to root for and so congratulations to pete and all of his successes that's cool i'm looking forward to i'm a big fan i'm a big fan and i that could easily qualify as my musty moment but i'm just going to say that it's john john florence's 10 point ride and watch it on repeat you can't watch that wave once you could find it on wsl's instagram you could find it on probably a lot of other instagrams but you can't watch that wave once. It's insane how good it is, flawlessly surfed it is. It is John John at the peak of his abilities, you know, just really performing. So yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Good for you, and I agree with you. And I've watched it more than once. Believe me. Well, my Duke this week could be uh, a lot of people because a lot of people have had a great week, especially with all these qualifiers. But it's got to be Carlos Munoz because I've been hyping him for so long. 
but it's not just for that reason. It's specifically for an Instagram uh, post that his coach, Jimmy Hogan posted. Uh, Did you see this? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. So Carlos Munoz did not qualify outright. He lost in the Holly Eve event early and his qualification was dependent upon other people losing. One such person was in the semi, maybe the quarterfinals. His name was Kalani Ball. He's a Hawaii surfer who was surfing really well throughout the event. So if Kalani Ball made this heat, Carlos would not qualify for the tour. If Kalani Ball lost the heat, Carlos would qualify. And what his coach, Jimmy Hogan, did was sit behind Carlos, who was watching the heat. So Carlos is sitting on a sofa, watching the heat on the internet, and Jimmy's sitting behind Carlos, filming him without him knowing. And throughout the heat, Carlos was rooting for Kalani Ball to win. He was cheering him. He was cheering him on. He was like, Kalani fell on a wave and Carlos was like, no, you know, like audibly disappointed for Kalani, even though it was to Carlos's own detriment. And so Jimmy then posted that Instagram and even wrote in the caption, Hey, you guys, I'm so proud of this young man because not only is he a phenomenal surfer, but he's just a great human being who is not wishing ill upon anyone. So. Well, that's cool. I'm just glad to hear that. For the record, I'm a fan of Carlos. I wouldn't mind paying you the hundred or two hundred or three hundred dollars or whatever because he's got a great story, and um, certainly both he and Jake, in weird ways, have their own totally. sort of up and down moments here, and um, they're slightly different, you know, different demons on each side of it. But um, everyone loves a comeback story, and we've got two of them with Jake Marshall and Carlos Munoz. So uh, best of luck to both of them. Hopefully they'll both push through to the end of the season. I would like to see them both at G-Land. That would be cool. I'm hoping that's the case. All right. Well, good. Cool, man. All right, David, until next time, adios and aloha. Come down.